one and all. Welcome back to Adoption Adventures. Lovely to uh, to have you here. Um, I firstly wanted to update you um, following last week's episode. Um, little dude went to collect his results um, and he did really, really well. Um, he has scored enough points to get into the sixth form that he wants to get into and he scored well enough in the subjects that he was um, looking for. So he has got onto the subjects that he wanted to do as well. So all of the things that he's hoping to do is he's on track, on plan, um, and all is looking really, really good there. So we were super duper proud um, and we've had a nice sort of fun weekend of celebrating. So he has done really, really, really well. Um, and yeah, thank you for all of the lovely messages and feedback that I have from everyone. Um, and for all of you that kept your fingers and toes crossed, um, it, it worked. Um, I had an email in from a listener talking to me about um, a potential link that they've got um, and this child that they're looking at having some special educational needs. And this listener was just asking me if this was something that we'd ever encountered and any thoughts or feelings or suggestions that we might have about that. So I said, instead of emailing back, I'm going to talk to you all about it. Um, So when we first sort of um, started learning about Little Dude and first started looking at his um, CPR, so Child Permanency Report, we had a look at um, various needs and um, sort of comments about his requirements. And one thing that was talked about um, was that he had been, when he first moved into care, there were some assumptions and some, I'm going to use the word concerns, but I think that that's not the right word. There were some concerns that he had um, ADHD, but that the um, sort of paediatrician had, had a look and said that actually they didn't feel that that was the correct diagnosis. Um, so when we first sort of read all of the details, yes, we had some um, areas of awareness, um, things that we needed to sort of consider and be aware of and things to, to make sure that we was helping along the way of. Um, but there wasn't any diagnosis of anything um, sort of significant that we need to worry about when it comes to special educational needs. Obviously, there were the um, attachment issues, there were trauma issues, but none other. That being said, um, when we started um, sort of getting to know Little Dude, we identified that there were quite a few um, sort of significant um, behavioural traits whereby you could understand how someone might presume at first that he had ADHD. Um, For those of you that don't know what ADHD is, it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Probably got the H wrong there. Um, Essentially, 
ADHD, significant ADHD is when, um, or ADD, which is attention deficit disorder. It's when a child really struggles to maintain focus. They are, I suppose the best way to describe it in sort of layman's terms is their live wires. They are constantly active, constantly moving, constantly hyper aware, hyper active, hypersensitive to change and really full on. So that that's that's significant ADHD or ADD. Um, when Little Dude first moved in, it would be very easy to Um, so I just had a phone call from Little Dude, so that cut out there. So that short little silence was uh, <laughs> was me trying to remember where I left off before the interruption. Um, so yeah, I was saying that I could understand how someone could sort of misdiagnose Little Dude when he moved in um, because he was super, super active. Um, he had so much energy, boundless energy, and it felt like there was just no way of wearing him out um so i could i could understand that um when um when we were getting to sort of the introduction stage and things like that we had a schools meeting that i think i've discussed previously um at this meeting we met with the previous school and the future school they met and they discussed what the previous school had done, how they'd worked and what sort of behavioural issues they'd seen or any concerns, they handed that over to the new school so as the new school could hit the ground running. The new school's SENCO was in attendance of this and a SENCO, a SENCO is a special educational needs coordinator. You sometimes also have special educational needs and disabilities coordinator. Um, essentially, it's the same role. It is someone who is looking after pastoral needs of students, any students that have any sort of learning, um, extra learning needs, any additional sort of um, support that is needed. They're the ones that come in and put that in place. If your child needs to be put on a particular plan where there are extra levels of funding or support, the SENCO is the, the go-to for this. So the new school's SENCO was in attendance um, and she was listening to various sort of ideas and concepts. Now, as you'll remember if, you've, um, if you're up to date on episodes from our episodes around schools, the first school that Little Dude went to was not particularly amazing. Uh, the SENCO there was quite poor um, and would organise meetings and sessions with Little Dude and then not attend them and not let Little Dude know that she wasn't going to be attending them. Um, as such, their relationship became quite, um, quite disrupted and quite disturbed. So it just wasn't, it wasn't a particularly strong um, connection. So any work that she tried to do with Little Dude actually didn't achieve many great results. Um, so, so yeah, there were sort of significant issues and concerns with with their approach, really. Um, 
Now, what was interesting was when little dude moved in with us, I had been doing some work with um, adults with disabilities, learning disabilities, and my family had been working within disabled schools, colleges, and day centres for quite a number of years. So I've I've got quite um, quite advanced knowledge of disability in that sense. When we first met Little Dude, I saw an awful lot of signs um, that indicated that Little Dude had um, acute autism. Uh, so he was high functioning autistic. From from that, what that I mean, I won't be able to go into the the actual specifics of autism. Um, like I said, my my knowledge of disability is good, but I can't. My knowledge of the theory behind it is not incredible. So, autism is a neurological um, disability. So it's when the brain is functioning in a different way. Now, as a general rule, most humans are on the autistic spectrum and it is a spectrum. You have high functioning, low functioning, you have um, people with autism who have high vocabulary, others that are sort of not, well, mostly nonverbal. Um, you'll find that within autism, you might find that um, autistic individuals do what's called stimming which is where they will either uh, shake they will need to tap or hit something or they will make a repetitive noise what this is this is when the neurons are firing off in the brain again if you are really really clued up on the theory behind autism if i get parts of this wrong i'm really sorry this is just my understanding of it um but basically when everything's firing off in the brain what's happening for someone with autism is it's all going absolutely berserk all at once they are hearing every single conversation every single noise every sound every feeling they can sometimes even hear their internal organs and it's all so so intense for them so when you see someone with autism who stims, it's their way of trying to just bring a little bit of order into that moment and their thinking. So they're trying to just get a little bit of control. Um, within autism, um, you sometimes find that the scalp is sensitive, in fact, painful. You also find that routine and structure is something that is really, really powerful and really positive. So, when Little Dude moved in, we recognised that he thoroughly enjoyed routine and boundary. He thrived when he was in an environment whereby it was very clear cut. So the rules were black and white. As soon as there was any form of grey, he would struggle. He would also, we would also find that he would um, have varying, I'm going to call them ticks. So if he was talking and he was uncomfortable, he might start to um, ever so slightly twitch in one of his eyes, or he might um, sort of pull at his fingers or his wrists. He 
um, he had at one point his sort of um, the right side of his mouth would lift almost like into a half smile if he was talking and he was uncomfortable. So he had minor little things that if you just met him and you didn't know him and you was talking to him, you'd probably miss it. But for us, we were able to see those behaviours and go, ah, I'm seeing this. I know exactly what's happening here. Um, and we would recognise that in those early days. Um, and all that we did is we just helped him to manage that. And we talked to him about how we felt that he might have some degree of autism. We explained what that was and how actually it could be used as a benefit. Um, and he could use those tendencies, those traits, to actually create an order for himself. Um, we then, quite early on, we were in um, the school with him um, and we met with the Senko. And throughout the conversation, it came up. I said, well, in my opinion, I think he's on on the autistic spectrum, you can see these behaviours. And the Senko got really animated, but this is the first time that I'd ever seen any animation in her. But she got super animated and she said, oh, do you actually think he's autistic? I said, well, yeah, I do. So, oh, well, we could get him put on this plan and that plan. You could get that funding. You might also be able to get some um, medication for him. Now, the medication that she was thinking about uh, the name slips my mind at present um, I think it starts with an R it might come back to me but this medicine is for people with significant autism and what it does it kind of um, slows the brain down a bit it just sort of just puts on the brakes just a little bit um, and for people with severe autism, it's actually, it can be really, really helpful. The problem is, if someone doesn't have significant autism, it could also be really, really difficult for them because what it does is it slows someone down and it actually can take away their character and their being. Um, and this is, again, this is just my experience of that. And I'm not, I've never used it and seen the results myself. I've only seen um, young people that have used it and what's then happened to their personalities and characteristics so I'm kind of offering my own experiences of this um, but what we said at the time was actually we don't need medication to slow him down we need life experience to help him know when to slow down there is no point adding medication to this because A, the school will never get to know the real him. And B, he will never get to know the real him. It, we aren't there. He isn't at that point. At this stage, he is just a very incredibly active boy. And we need to start putting management in place for that. Um, so we talked about how, how we could help him with, with that. And what we wanted to do, we wanted to avoid, yeah, she, she really pushed to get a label put on it. And we kind of said that we really didn't want that for him. Um, we didn't want, 
We don't want to go down a label road because as soon as you've got that label attached to you, people then start using that and saying, oh, well, he's got this, so therefore we can't do. And when I say that, I actually mean these. It's more, in my experience, it's been more the establishment that uses that, not families. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's just something that gets used. It's almost like, and I think I talked about this the other day, if you engage with a child and you tell them that they are shy, and each time that they go to meet somebody else and they're a bit quiet, um, people then say, oh, well, yeah, they're shy. What, what tends to happen is you almost program that child to be shy and use that. Well, that's not what our kids need. That's not what any kids need. What, what they need is for us to say, well, yeah, do you know what? It's, you know, meeting new people is difficult, but lots of grown-ups really struggle with that. Give them a bit of time, they'll start chatting to you. And if we start doing that, we then start teaching them coping mechanisms and ways to actually manage that. Whereas if we said, oh, well, little dude's autistic, before you know it, you start to create that label and allow that to come to the forefront. I hasten to add, having autism is is not a negative label. It is not a label that should cause any concerns, worries, fears, anxieties. There, there's limited sort of media, mainstream media or mainstream sort of like movies and stuff, shows and things like that to, to demonstrate autism. But the work that I've done with um, people with autism, I've seen the spectrum. I've worked with autistic adults who were pretty much non-verbal. And I've worked with autistic adults who were extremely verbal. And I've worked with <laughs> autistic adults that were really capable and others that really struggled with different things. It's, it's a condition that actually with the right level of support and care and nurture, it can be managed and supported. And someone with autism has the opportunity to still achieve amazing and incredible things. We may need to alter what our sort of hopes, dreams and ambitions are, but maybe not. Um, so it's not as, it's not as, I think when, and I think this is changing, but I think when someone hears the term autism, they naturally assume that it's sort of going to be Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man. Um, and that may be the case, but it might not be either. Um, so it's just about giving that some thought. In addition to this, um, something else to think about, and this is again something that I've learned along the way, is if you put the traits of autism down in one column and then you put the traits of attachment disorder in another column, 
you'd actually find that between the two, there are huge similarities, huge, huge, huge similarities. And it will be very, very difficult to say that a child has one or the other. So for a lot of our children, attachment disorder is there. And you'll see certain traits within autism. So what I would suggest is perhaps it's harder to find attachment disorder, sort of coping mechanisms, uh, media. I don't know. I've never really, really delved into searching for that. But I have searched coping mechanisms for autism. And I've found that that's given me the same sort of support. Um, so, yeah, I would say, little dude, it was attachment disorder um, that we were seeing more than anything. And giving coping mechanisms, offering suggestions and solutions on how to manage different um, moments, that is what he needed and that's what helped. Um, I think as well, I did an episode a, well, a long while ago about therapeutic parenting. Um, I think that that needs to come into it. I think if we are working towards the idea of therapeutic parenting with any anything at all with our children, we're always going to be sort of stepping a little bit further forward with them. Um, and I think when it comes to any special educational need, that's where we can really, really sort of step it up a bit with our therapeutic parenting. We can say, right, what additional things can I put in place to make your life a little bit easier? A number of weeks ago, we talked um, with Ali from um, FASD um, Hub in Scotland. She was able to share with us a lot more about um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and some of the different things that, or difficulties that that can cause as well. Um, so thinking about that and how to introduce this into your world, Again, it's, I think the best thing is it's about educating yourself and it's about talking to other people who have experienced the same sort of thing so as you can marry that up and say, okay, I need to do this differently or I wonder if this would help. If you talk to enough parents who have experienced it, you'll start hearing that there's a lot of things that you can put in place that are quite simple wins to to get you over the sort of the hardest part of it. Um, I would also suggest anyone who's looking and taking on a, a child, full stop, <laughs> regardless of needs, um, talk with their foster carers. Spend quality time with foster carers. Ask them what sort of behaviours they are seeing and what coping strategies they are putting in place. These these foster carers, they are living and breathing life with these children. Get to know them, get to know what they're doing, find out what works, find out what behaviours they're seeing. They are a font of wisdom and they want to share that. So use them, use them to guide you because it's it's going to really, really help. Um, I think... If you, if you are looking at taking on a child and you've had it sort of found out that there are sort of um, special educational needs, like I say, 
learn about them, but then spend some quality time when you're looking for schools. I think it's even more important that you spend time with the SENCO and finding out how they help, what they get involved in. And I think as well, sort of getting almost like a service level agreement from them. What level of service are you going to offer my child or children? And what can I expect from you? What do I need to put in place now? And what are you going to be putting in place before they even get to you? And I think having the confidence to hold schools accountable um, and making sure that they are doing what is needed, then making sure that you're following up as well and repeating the sort of things at home. Little dude, when he moved in with us, we ensured that we encouraged, we put in a sort of a school-like environment for a, a lot of it. So we would make sure that in the early days when he had moved in but was not attending school, we made sure that we went through various lessons in the day. Now, it wasn't constant, but it was enough to just make sure that we were adding a bit of a routine and structure and we were putting those things in place. So if that's what you're being told is going to be really helpful, get that put in place. Find out how the schools operate and what sort of thing that they do and start doing that at home. Find out the type of language that's being used and start using it. This way, you're you're all moving in the exact same direction because if if we're if you're pulling towards the left but I'm pulling towards the right all of us are still trying to move forward but we're going about it separate ways for our children that becomes super confusing so it's about having a uniformed approach to our children's needs and putting that in place and if you're finding something is working at home share that with the school share that with friends share that with your family let them know what we do is douche we have found that this has really worked or that has definitely not worked talk about that sort of thing share it so as our our young ones have got a singular approach because that's how you just steady the ship okay now as life goes on you can deviate from that a little bit. You know, we aren't using the same approach that little dude's grandparents use. We aren't using the same approach as the school would use. But he's settled now. So he can understand why we're all pulling in different directions because he understands that it's all the same direction, just different, different routes. So just give that some thought on how you can adapt to that and make sure that you're all working towards the same thing and trying to move in the same way as well. Um, I think for all of our children, regardless of any need, um, structure, routine, boundary, um, very clear um, sort of guidelines, all of these things, they make any human feel very, very comfortable, regardless of any additional needs. Um, I think those clear, defined messages will always make someone feel that much more settled. So just putting that in place will always be good. Um, Like I say, utilise the foster carers 
find other parents that have gone through the same. You will be able to contact your um, adoption agency and ask them, have you got other adopters who have gone through exactly the same thing? I guarantee it. Yes, they have. And I guarantee it. They will know an adopter that will be prepared to spend some time talking to you because the adoption community is incredible at looking after one another. So utilize that. Speak to social workers. If you are finding that there are certain disabilities or anything like that, there are charities set up specifically for various um, disabilities. So reach out to them. Reach out to them and ask them if you could just learn a little bit more and find out how you could help. These charities are there to support you. So you would be able to work that in and and they'd be able to help you with that as well um so yeah keep keep that in mind um and exactly like what's happened with this listener getting in touch with myself reach out to people reach out talk to people ask someone have you ever experienced this if you haven't do you know someone that has um i mean i've I've only scratched the surface of talking about disabilities. There are so many different disabilities um, that children can have. Again, the the word disability can can really drum up a lot of anxiety for some people. Um, I get that. I totally understand it. And again, when you go through the sort of the checklist of what could you accept, what would you accept with a, a child? It's really tough, um, and when you hear disability, physical disability, um, learning disability, it sounds really scary. But delve a little bit deeper into it, and and for some of it, you'll find mm, actually this is something that I can manage. Um, so, so yeah, I would just say educate yourself, understand your limits, understand your own expectations and find a way to sort of share that um hopefully that's been helpful um but as always if it's if it's been helpful but you need me to delve a bit deeper let me know if it's been helpful and you want me to sort of have a look at a different idea talk to me if it's not been helpful don't let me know i'm not interested in that sort of feedback (laughs) Um, yeah just let me know if you because like i said i I work within the field of disability so i i can i can delve more into that world and i can find some professionals to talk to and to address all these things so if you feel like you'd like me to delve further into those things just talk to me and It'd be a pleasure to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's been helpful. Hopefully that's given some food for thought. Um, but, yeah, let me know if you need more. Otherwise, thank you as always. You are amazing. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Take care.